The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So, I have a story that I want to share that I've actually been very excited to share. Um, there's this family at Becca's school that uh, we've spent some time with, grown to uh, become friends with and close to. And so they have a, a 14-year-old and a 5-year-old. And they're a black family, and we love them dearly, and we spend time with them. And um, so the 5-year-old in particular is at the point now where he's understanding that everybody doesn't look like him, and so he's asking really funny questions. And um, so the first time he came over to our house, uh, him and I were just uh, hanging out outside or something, and he was thirsty, so we went and got him some orange juice. I don't know what kind of orange juice drinkers you are. I'm a pulp drinker, okay? Well, he is not a pulp drinker, apparently. So we poured him orange juice, and he, he goes to drink it, and he goes, why is there hair in the orange juice? And so I, I thought about it. I said, oh, that's not hair. That's pulp. And he just looked at him. He's like, pulp? And I was like, I don't know how to explain to you pulp. I don't know. That's just how the orange juice is. And so that's the foundation of mine and his relationship. So he was over at our house on Friday, and we were hanging out again. And we have a nativity scene on our uh, kitchen table. And <laughs> so he, he looks at it. He says, uh, it was just him and I, and Becca was in the back. And he says, who's that baby? I said, well, that's baby Jesus. He said, that's not baby Jesus. I said, yeah, yeah, it is. He said, baby Jesus was white. I said, no, he wasn't white. I said, I'm white. He wasn't white. He said, well, he didn't look like me. I said, well, he's was darker than me, but lighter than you. He said, so Jesus was Puerto Rican? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, no, Puerto Ricans are Puerto Rican. I said, he was, from, <laughs> he was from Palestine. He said, Palestine? I was like, it doesn't matter. He was halfway between you and me. But what I realized, and I, he was dead serious, so I had to keep a straight face. I didn't want him to feel embarrassed for asking that. But I realized then that, number one, I'm not ready for kids. Number two, and probably more importantly, is sometimes the simplest stories are the hardest to tell. The things that you and I take for matter of fact at face value are difficult to explain. Why is the sky blue? I've never asked that question, but I know little kids do. And so, in the same way that the story of the birth of Christ is something so simple that we've all heard and grown up hearing, I hope this morning that we're able to kind of lift up the hood, so to speak, and maybe look at a couple different ways in which uh, um, the story of the birth of Christ uh, may be a little different than what we thought. And so this morning, my hope is we're, we're going to kind of spend about a half hour together or so. Uh, I, I am noticeably quicker on time than some of my counterparts up here. And that is probably my favorite part about preaching is I control when we go to lunch. And so for all of my Baptist brothers and sisters in here, I, I hope to have you by brunch this morning. So the, the expectation here is we're just going to ask and hopefully answer three simple questions about uh, some of the texts concerning the birth of Christ. And um, 
This is not going to be an exhaustive study by any means. It's really more of a, a flyover, so to speak. And so I hope that as we scatter from here today, that amongst ourselves, and even if we have some personal time before the Lord this week, that we're able to examine and um, think on whatever the Holy Spirit may be stirring in each of us separately this morning. So if I can, let me pray and ask for God's help, and then um, we can get rocking and rolling. Father, we are thankful this morning that, uh, that you orchestrated our car rides and uh, getting kids ready and, and, and getting here on time. And We ask that you come and sit with us, Lord, that the preparation and thought that was put into this will be put aside, Lord, and that you would uh, make much of yourself in this time. Lord, uh, let the hearers of these words respond in joy and and love and affection for who you are and what you've done. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen. So the verses that, and I know Dale mentioned this earlier, the verses we've been looking at are in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and it starts off in the fullness of time. And so in case we haven't caught on yet, what we're doing or hoping to do is over the, the four weeks of Advent, Advent just means coming. And so we're celebrating the advent of Christ, the coming of the birth of Christ. And so the four weeks preceding uh, Christmas Day, churches and um, historically the church has celebrated the four Sundays of Advent. And so last week we talked about uh, the first part of the verse. So it says when the fullness of time had come and then it lists four separate things uh, concerning the birth of Christ. And so last week Dale spoke with us and, and this week hopefully um, We'll learn a little bit more there, and then the following two Sundays we'll finish up Advent. So if you're like me, when I read the first part of the verse, when the fullness of time had come, I don't really know what that means. And so the first question I ask myself is, what does the fullness of time mean? What is, what is Paul talking about when he's writing to the Galatian church? And so I think it's helpful for us to take a, a brief step back and look at... Um, First, how God views time. So we think of time in a chronological or a, a linear way, right? So the year 2015 is directly after the year 2014. Monday is after Sunday. Well, God, being outside of time, looks across all millennia and, and generations and years and sees it all together, and he orchestrates and works all of time Time in the future, time in the past, and time presently for his purposes. And so we see this picture that Paul is trying to paint to the Galatian church that God, in eternity past, had thrown out a bogey at the, at the second in which Christ Jesus was to be born and said, that is the moment when all of human history culminates. This is the crescendo of the existence of the world is when Jesus Christ was to be born. And so thousands of years beforehand, he was orchestrating and moving to that moment, funneling all kings and powers and uh, galaxies and existence to that moment in Bethlehem. And that's a pretty grand thought. So on a smaller scale... I think it's helpful to see what are some practical ways in which God had uh, primed 
or prepared the earth to receive Jesus. And so the first place we're going to look is the Roman Empire. And you guys have all probably seen the movies like Troy and Gladiator and maybe you haven't. They're good movies. And so they depict different eras of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was notorious for two things. The first was fighting with each other. And the second was expanding its empire by fighting with each other. And so when Christ was born, they were right in the middle of a time period unlike any other in all of Roman history. And it's called the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana was a 200-year history of absolute peace. There was no fighting. There was absolute peace through, amongst all territories within the empire. The second kind of unique facet of the Roman Empire at that point was culturally they had what was called the lingua franca. All that means is, so here's a good example. Uh, Canada, let's say you have a Canadian who speaks French and you have a, uh, somebody from Mexico who speaks Spanish. Well, they would have a common language that they would be able to talk for trade and merchandise purposes. And so it's a common language used in business. And at that time, Jesus, who spoke Aramaic, and we see that when he's on the cross and also when he's with Mary Magdalene, that, that he's fluid and, and Aramaic. Well, the language of choice, the lingua franca at that point, was Greek. And so for the first time, you could say there was a universal language. So people could communicate and understand each other unlike any other point in history. The third kind of unique aspect is that the Roman Empire, amidst these 200 years of peace, had built five major highways coming out of Rome, touching the farthest points of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire at that point was the whole known world. And so if we take a step back, we see there's a common language, there's a time of peace, but then there's also means by which the gospel could be spread. And that's on safe roads that were built by the Roman Empire. Religiously speaking, what was going on is there was this kind of tension building that folks were tired of Greek mythology. They were tired of uh, serving thousands of different gods. And on the other side of the coin, the, the Jewish uh, faith was tired of waiting. They were tired of waiting about this promised Messiah and the covenant that was made with Abraham thousands of years before. And so there was this kind of like, now what? And from the book of Malachi until Jesus' birth at the beginning of the New Testament was 400 years. And so you can imagine there was this, this culminating anticipation and so there's a popular uh, Christmas carol that really kind of unpacks that, and it's O Holy Night. And it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And so there's this relief when Jesus explodes onto the scene. So that was this level of the Roman Empire. And, and again, this is not going to be a, an exhaustive look at, at Old Testament prophecies, but just speaking to a couple, we see in Luke... Chapter 2, verse 1, that Caesar Augustus had decreed that the whole earth be counted, which is pretty crazy. Well, census, or however you, whatever the plural of census is, uh, census, uh, 
it happened about once every 14 years, and it was for tax purposes. They wanted to know who was there and who should be paying taxes to keep this peace and to continue to expand the empire. So ironically, uh, Joseph and Mary, who was with child, was in the town of Nazareth. So for all of you who are not familiar with ancient Palestine geography, I'll help you out here. So Nazareth is up here, and Bethlehem is down here. And there's about 90 miles that separates Nazareth and Bethlehem. I need to be careful here. So we have some sisters in our congregation who are also with child, right? So I can only imagine, as a husband, Joseph, what it would be like to look at your pregnant spouse and to say, hey, I need us to go 90 miles on a donkey in variable weather and travel unsafe roads just so we can get counted. So I, I would have to imagine that it was definitely the Holy Spirit nudging Mary on the donkey. Because um, that's a donkey ride from here to Charleston, just to put that in perspective. That's a long ways. And it wasn't flat. Well, they're not going down Highway 17, okay, in Palestine. They're a little bumpier. So the reason that Jesus and Mary and Joseph were moving to Bethlehem was they were returning to the land of their ancestors, which was to fulfill the prophecy that we see in Psalm 89 that says that Jesus would be a direct descendant of King David. Well, Bethlehem is about six miles south of Jerusalem, and it was in the providence of Judea, which means that Bethlehem was part of the ancient Israeli tribe of Judah. And so in Revelation, we see Jesus referred to as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And there are countless other Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled. One of the, this is kind of a side note, but one of the most fascinating ones I found was the wise men. And I guess I kind of picture that story a little bit like the Hallmark Channel, where, uh, you know, like Jesus is born and then three guys show up. It's not like that, in case you're wondering. So they... There was more than three of them, first of all. But secondly, and I found this really interesting, they came from either Babylon or Persia, which was 800 miles away. So I, I like to put things in simple perspective. That's like going from here to Detroit by foot, okay? So they looked at a star, and they started walking to Detroit. That blows my mind. I, I mean, I'm just absolutely fascinated by that. Maybe you guys aren't. Maybe you think that's normal. <laughs> I think that's pretty incredible. But there, there were, there's a lot more of tiny details that speak to the craftsmanship of our Lord. How he was orchestrating outside of time people, places, galaxies, stars, kings and rulers to culminate at that microsecond in which Jesus is born. So when Paul's speaking of when the fullness of time came, that's what he's thinking of. So my next natural question is, once the fullness of time came, then what? Well, I'm glad you guys asked that too. So last week, Dale talked a little bit about the first aspect of that. So Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, 
Number one, God sent his son. Number two, he was born of a woman under the law. Number three, he was sent to redeem those under the law. And number four, so that we could receive adoption. So on the front side, we see that Jesus Christ, who was fully God and has always been fully God, never set aside his divinity. So it's not like he was divine here, human here, and then divine again. He was always 100% part of the triune God. So Colossians 1.15 speaks pretty specifically to this. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So what does that mean? That means before the foundations of the world, before time and stars and space had been created, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, decided that the only and the most glorifying way to represent the Trinity is in the physical manifestation or the physical display of the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the only physical and visible display of all parts of the Trinity. So, in eternity past, they decided that Jesus Christ would come down and become 100% man while simultaneously become, remaining 100% God. And next week, just as a little teaser, a little preview, Jonathan's going to be talking about what Jesus Christ fulfilled that we couldn't fulfill. And, and, and that's the law. And he came down and lived a perfect and sinless life so that we could be bridged back to God. So think about it this way. This is, this is the obstacle facing an eternal God. We existed in the garden, Adam and Eve did, perfect communion and harmony with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they sinned. And, and the word sin is an, an archery term. So if you're downrange and you fire a bow, they would say sin right or sin left. That means you miss to the right or you miss to the left. So it's to miss the mark of perfection. So in the Garden of Eden, mankind, Adam and Eve representing all of us, missed the mark. And so God is faced with being a holy and just and perfect God. And now he has a human race who is no longer perfect. So this is, a, this is an issue. So in his infinite wisdom, he decides that the only way to bridge humanity that's fallen back to a perfect and holy God is to have a perfect God-man. Think about it like this. O only a human could substitute for a human life. But on the other side, only God could withstand his own wrath, which is what Jesus felt on the cross, and still survive. So it took a perfect God-man to bridge humanity back to the Father. And so when Paul says, the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. These are the implications of what that might mean. So moving on to the, the third question that I asked myself. was that when the fullness of time had come, he was born of a woman. And we saw the first part 
of why Jesus had to be born of a woman to bridge us back to the Father. But there's another reason, and it's intimacy. So we see that in Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4. And I hadn't planned to do this, but I'm going to read that. If you guys want to, you can turn there. It's Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 and 4. Keep in mind, this was written thousands of years before the birth of Christ. This is the prophet Isaiah. In verse 3, he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one who men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Jesus came as a man and took on human flesh so that he could be familiar with us. You know, it would be perfectly in God's ability and sovereign rights to rule with an iron fist from on high. He created us. You know, it's a lot like uh, you think about uh, Geppetto um, creating Pinocchio. Is it not the right of the, the potter or the craft-er to make out of the craft what he wants? And so he could have ruled us. He could have thrown lightning bolts or whatever other pictures of uh, authoritative God that, that we see and think of. But what he decided to do was come down and dwell among us. And next week we're going to see that his sole purpose in doing that was to redeem us. And so Hebrews 2 Chapter 2 and chapter 4 say that he became like us in every respect so that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. You guys ever been betrayed by a friend? He has. You guys ever woken up in the morning and felt hungry? Jesus has. Anything that we have felt... Jesus, the man, felt the same things. And so when we approach Christ, when we think of Jesus, we don't have to think of a, a big kid on the playground tripping you and laughing when he, when he watches you fall. But rather, we can think of a very intimate and tender Savior and also recognize how powerful and mighty and sovereign he really is. The final thought I have, and we're going to, for those of you keeping a clock on me, we're going to wrap up here. Um, we see Jesus Christ's birth as more than a Christmas narrative that we tell, although it is that. We see the, the behind-the-scenes footage, so to speak, of what God was orchestrating outside of time. And on another level, we see why Jesus Christ had to come as a man to bridge us back to the Father. And we also see how familiar and intimate He is with us. He's a man acquainted with sorrow. 
I mean, we could all raise our hands. We've been acquainted with sorrow and grief. He's relatable. What, what, should, that, what should that stir up in us? Well, the first thing I hope it does, and I pray that it does it for myself as well, is it should make us realize and celebrate that we're not in control. You know, that the God of the universe at this cosmic level in known universes and unknown universes is orchestrating His providence and His sovereignty. And that's not meant to create fear or anxiety. It's meant to be a relief. The second thing that I I hope that this stirs up in us is that the story of Jesus is not just a, a story to be told in December, but rather it is the perfect illumination, the perfect picture of the character of God. Almighty, all-powerful, wonderful, creator, sustainer of everything everywhere. There's not a sparrow in the Amazon jungle that falls from a tree that he doesn't know about. Intimate, tender, sweet, gracious Savior who came to dwell among us so he could save us. The third thing that I hope this morning points us to is the second advent. So we know that Christ came once, and we talked about that this morning. Well, the story doesn't end with his birth. The story doesn't end with his life or his death or even his ascension. The story ends when Jesus Christ comes back and makes all things right. So there's a time that's coming when Jesus comes, redeems this world, and things are as they should be. And all of creation, the mountains, the stars, all of those who have put their faith and trust in Christ will sing what we should be singing, which is holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And so it's in moments like this when we reflect back that hopefully the Holy Spirit stirs us to remember that God's glory is not just in Jesus' birth. God's glory is not just in His healing of disease. God's glory is not just in, put in whatever you want, God's glory is everywhere. And so this season, this Christmas season, as things will get cranked up for all of us, I'm sure, with family and travel and um, welcoming new members. We got to welcome a new member to our family, not my family, but uh, our Doxa family last night. Andre and James had their little daughter. And as as things get crazy, um, I hope that we are reminded of the absolute control and governance that Christ has over his creation. And we still remember that it's okay to worry. It's okay to be anxious in the fact that we know that when we lay those at the foot of Jesus, and we're not talking to somebody who who's far off. Acts 17 tells us that if we would all turn to him, he is actually not far from any of us. 
And so this morning, maybe you are uh, somebody who has struggled or wrestled with the claims of Christ. Maybe you're not sure where you stand in relationship to who Jesus is or what he's done for you. Or maybe you don't really care. And so to you this morning, I would tell you that at, at this moment, in this place, at this hour, that you have hope. You have hope that Jesus' birth is your redemption. Will you let his death be your life? Will you let his life be what keeps you from death? I would, I would hope that you would put your faith and trust in, in the creator of all things. Or maybe you are in here and you do have faith in Christ Jesus. My hope for you is that when you leave this place, that you are comforted, that you are restful, and that you are mindful that Jesus' birth is more than just shepherds and wise men, but it's a, an opportunity for you to trust deeply on our God's control. And so I'm going to finish as, as Jamin comes up, and we have a time to prepare our hearts before communion. And um, one of the clearest pictures that I can think about in Scripture of our Heavenly Father's thoughts towards us are in Psalm 139. And so that's how I'm going to close this morning. So I'm going to read Psalm 139, the first 16 or 18 verses. And so I'm going to give you guys permission just to kind of relax. Um, we're going to move then into a time of preparation and, and thinking um, before we go and take communion. You know, communion is meant to look back at Christ's first advent with thankfulness and a full heart and look forward at Christ's second advent with hope and faith. And so would you hear the words of uh, David in Psalm 139 this morning and be reminded of what the God of the universe thinks about each of you. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me if I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there was none of them, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Father, would you take the words that were written thousands and thousands of years ago? Would you make them fall fresh this morning? Lord, that in the midst of Christmas and work and family and life, that we would drink so deeply and rest so vividly in your control and your love and in your intimacy. Please don't return your word void to your people. Send us out. your provision and protection. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.